Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Podcast, equipping people to live successful Christian lives. We're walking through the book of 1 Peter. If you have your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 3 today, we're going to go, we're going to look at the first seven verses of that today. And, uh, you know, as we're reading, as we're going through this, we like to take a book of the Bible at least one time of year and talk it and walk it through, chapter, verse, chapter, verse, as we walk through it. And that's called expositionally preaching through the Bible. There's other times we do topical studies. We'll come and we'll preach about a topic, but we love taking a book of the Bible at least one time a year and be able to look at what God has to say to us line upon line. And that's what we're doing in the book of 1 Peter. And, um, and sometimes it's really difficult to do that because, man, you're really getting in to the rooted word of God, and you're digging out the truth, but it's really rich, and it's really important as we discover God's living word together. But 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1, but before I get there today, you know, sometimes I like to start off with a funny story. Are you okay with that today? If you're not, just endure. I'll be done in just a moment. I heard about this elderly couple. They've been married for over 60 years. They said they never had an argument. And they said, never, they said they never said a bad word about one another ever. So someone at a church function asked them, well, what's the secret of your success? And the man told them he always treated his wife with respect and how he took her on trips all the way around the world. And he said, in fact, for our 25th wedding anniversary, I took her to Beijing, China. Everyone politely applauded. They were so excited. Someone said, well, what did you do for your 50th wedding anniversary? And he said, I went back and picked her up. <laughs> if you're having those kind of struggles, this message is for you today. All right? This word is for you and for me. It's for all of us today. I don't care whether you're married or not, single, whatever. Maybe there's some great stuff in here that First Peter wants to talk to us about in our relationships. And so... 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, first word is likewise. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. You may feel like turning me off at that point, but hear me out. The most overlooked word in this whole passage is the word likewise. Can you say the word likewise? Everybody look at someone close to you and say likewise. Likewise means in the same way. This is in the same way. Remember, this is the third of the three relationships that Peter uses to illustrate a great principle in this chapter and verse. How should a stranger in exile respond to the difficult relationships or unjust treatment that they're a part of? So the previous two relationships that we looked at last week were submitting to an imperfect and sometimes unjust government and then being under the control of an unjust master. Uh, these are all just applications that Peter is trying to drive home a principle in God's word, and that is Jesus Christ is our example that we should follow in all of our relationships on this earth. In any relationship that you're experiencing hardship, suffering, or injustice, Peter says, for in 21, we looked at this a couple weeks ago and last week, for you were called to this. Even in the difficulty, even in the hardship, even in the injustice, Peter says, you were called to this. You have a calling to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example to follow in his footsteps. Now, he did not commit sin. Jesus never did. And no deceit, the Bible says, was ever found in his mouth, Isaiah 53, 9. 
even when he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. And this is where we get Isaiah 53, 5, by his wounds you've been healed. Today I want to talk to you about submission training in our relationship with our spouse. Even our relationship with our spouse. Three ways to honor your spouse. So if you're taking notes, write these three things down, take them with you. We also have a mobile app. You can fill in the blanks and take them with you as well. Here's where it says, Peter's pointing out, to be honoring and submissive to our spouse, number one, use your power to bless and serve, not to manipulate and control. That's Christ-like. Peter points to power that both men and women have in a relationship, and it shows you what to do with it. Men, of course, usually have more physical power, usually. They're typically bigger and stronger, and I think that's primarily what Peter's driving at in verse 7 when he calls her the weaker vessel. But it's also, in Rome, you see, it meant weaker in her power in the marriage, Marriage law in Rome was much better for men than for women in Rome. Men could even have affairs, were expected to. She could be killed if she did so. Men could divorce their wives for pretty much any reason, the way she cooked, right? If she wouldn't let you go to the gladiator games on Saturday morning, right? You know, if you didn't like the way she aged, but wives in general couldn't divorce their husbands. And divorces always favored the man in that day. The money was his, the children was his. Many uh, divorced women, they had to resort to prostitution just to make it. It was a horribly unjust system, but the point is she was a weaker vessel legally. That's how they looked at it. She's also weaker in the sense that the New Testament gives him a position of leadership in the home. She's told to submit in ways that he is not. That's not a bad thing, of course. It's a beautiful thing in Christ, in Christ's likeness, but it makes her positionally weaker. This is what Peter's saying. Some commentators say that this reference inside of here is to her being weaker might be a general reference to the fact that God has endowed women with an emotional sensitivity that makes them more nurturing and compassionate. That's very true. The mothering instinct that's inside of a woman. Having that sensitivity doesn't mean that they are inferior, right? That doesn't mean they're inferior. Which is weaker, a crowbar or a thermometer? Well, in some ways, the thermometer but the thermometer can do a lot of stuff that the crowbar can't. In, in, in many ways, a, a thermometer is more powerful and useful than a crowbar. So maybe that's the kind of concept that Peter kind of has in his mind if you look at this. But none of these four weaker positions make her inferior. This is what Peter means when he says, heirs with you in the grace of life. She's an heir with you, right alongside of you in Christ. She is your full equal, man. She is your full equal. It's not taking anything away from her, but that is how Christ looks at a husband and wife and how we are to act inside the boundaries of our marriage. So I'm going to have a couple help me out with this today. Austin, Austin and Adrian, would you come? And they're going to help us out. Thank you. Come on, give them a great big hand clap. They serve so faithfully here at Abundant Life Church. 
and do such an amazing job. They helped me out in the first service. We, they did so good. We're having them back. All right. So I'm going to go through this because I tested them in the first service. Tell me how long you've been married. <laughs> three months. Three months, right. Okay. So the first service also said two, and she said three, and I said, well, you're going to submit to her, right? Yes, of course. So three months. Come on, give it for these newlyweds. Congratulations. Congratulations. We love you, and uh, so thankful for your life together and your new life together. Well, listen, uh, a husband and wife are called to walk together in submitting to each other. They are equals. That's what, how Scripture, is. you look at it, so it doesn't mean that, hey, one's better than the other, but I have handcuffs to kind of prove this today inside the boundaries of marriage. Some of you, your mind went to a really bad place when I brought these out, but you need to bring it back to righteous living right now, okay? But so, so inside of here, we're going to look at the handcuffs as a covenant agreement that you guys have with God. So I'm going to put these on there. I'm not going to put them on too tight so they don't, uh, yes, hinder you there. But uh, there you go. So what this represents is they have a covenant before God inside of marriage, that they are one flesh, they are tied together, they are unique persons, two, two unique people, but they are one as Jesus looks at them. But they are called, like any marriage, to walk together. So Austin, Austin I, see, first service, I called them Austrian, I, and so Austin and Adrian, I told them that's their new name, to Austin, Adrian, I got to get this down. But the best thing is, you guys' last name is Miller's. Miller's, yeah, no relation, but yeah. All right. So Austin and Adrian, what I'm going to have you do is I'm going to have you walk around in front of me all the way around, make a full circle, and come back to me. What they're doing in marriage is that they are in stride and in, they are in step with each other, right? That it takes them walking in tandem in agreement so that they are one flesh, they're moving in the same direction, and they're moving together, they're linked together, that they have a covenant with God. Inside of marriage, neither the man or the woman should lord their authority over each other. Can I hear an amen? That's biblical, right? In our relationships, we shouldn't lord our authority over one another. Paul tells us that as well. Peter reaffirms that inside of this passage. But we're called to serve each other together inside the boundaries of marriage. So first service, what I had was I had Adrian sit down. So I'm going to have Austin sit down this time. Come right out here. So what happens many times uh, inside of marriage is that many times we realize, well, maybe one of the spouses, they feel like, hey, I'm going to lead the family this way, and this is the way that we're going. And, and sometimes we don't even look for the response or pray for the response from our spouse, but that we, one of us inside the confines of marriage, want to go and take the family this way while the other spouse wants to remain seated. So I'm going to have you step up a little bit. And so what this causes is a tension inside the marriage. It causes a tension because they're not at the same place now, and this is going to begin to eventually hurt. This is going to cause a strain on the marriage because, you know, Adrian said, no, this is the way we're going. And Austin says, no, I don't know if I'm there yet. You know, whether it's just rebellion in his heart or, hey, you know what? He hasn't prayed through it enough at this point so that they are together and on the same page. See, the enemy wants us to be at this tension zone all the time. These will come inside a marriage. They do, don't they, married people? 
They do. But what needs to happen is this spouse, we'll have Adrian back up a little bit, and they need to come back together again, and they need to get on the same page so that they're one in their heart and their mind. God already looks in them as one flesh, but God wants them to come back together again, pray, seek God's counsel, and talk together on where they are to go and where their family is to go. This can happen in, you know, any different topic inside a marriage, right? Whatever it may be, with the kids, whether we're supposed to move or not, what are we supposed to do next? But God wants marriages to walk in tandem together so that there is unity and there is one mind and there is one purpose inside of marriage. So let me just say this, is Peter says that whatever power you and I have in the relationship should be used to honor each other. Not exploit each other, but we're there to serve each other just like Jesus served the church. Live with each other in understanding ways. Not trying to misunderstand the whole time or just be at odds the whole time. This constant tension zone. You know what? We're all wired differently, aren't we, inside of marriage? We absolutely are. It's important to understand each other's wiring. Why you're wired, why you do what you do. It's so important to understand that. Seek to understand him. Seek to understand her. Learn her love language. Learn his love language. Love him and her on their terms. And men, we should be a student of our wives. And all the women said, Amen. So, Austin, I'm going to have you stand up. And so God has called every marriage to walk together in tandem. As you're keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, you need to be keeping in step with your spouse. Because that's what Jesus, remember, this isn't secular humanism. This isn't talking that's happening out in our world. The world is going to tell you something different. Just go do what you want to do today, regardless of what your spouse says or what your spouse wants to do. No, you lead together. Yes, the Bible says that the man is to lead his home. I get that. But you are co-equals in it, and that's how Jesus looks at you. And that's when Jesus looks at us as the church, he wants us to be in tandem with him as we are walking together. Now, you guys don't have to wear those all day. I have a key for you, and uh, I'm going to let you do that at your seats. But thank you Austin, and Adrian, come on, give them a great big hand clap for helping me out with this illustration. That we're not called to hold out on one another. We're called to serve each other together. Because remember, Christ is the example. That's, that, that's, that's what Peter, he's driving home. He's driving home, that's what he's saying. Christ is your example. Live and lead each other like Christ leads the church. See, use of position of power to serve each other is what God has called us to do. It's what Christ did in his strength for us. So let me tell you something that's absolutely wrong. When a man uses his physical power to dominate his wife, even worse is when he uses the Christian idea of submission and marriage to dominate her. That's not what Christ did with his power ever. He used his power to serve. He laid down his life. C.S. Lewis said, the crown a man wears in marriage is first one of thorns. That's a powerful quote. That we are called 
to serve and love our wives. That is what we're called to do. Yes, there will be disagreements, but we shouldn't be pulling out the submission card to get what we want done, right? Here's the deal. If, if I'm leading in a Christ-like way, I'm letting her win with most of her preferences most of the day. And the women of the house said amen to that, right? Because what are you doing? You're, you're laying down your life for her and serve her. And the decisions you make... Are you asking, how can I honor her? How can I lift her up? How can I make her life easy today and the things she's going through? Praying for her. You know she's going through difficulties. She's going through struggles, some of which she may not even be talking to you about. Men, whatever power you have physically, positionally, financially, the dominance of your personality, you should use to bless and honor her first. Well, First Peter says, their beauty and sexuality, this is where he takes up women. And he's going to talk about what kind of power do they have. He says, well, Peter says, well, it's in their beauty, it's in their sexuality. And Peter indicates that many women can build their identity on that and use that as a means of power. And what he says in verse 3 is, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, in the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. He's not saying you can't braid your hair or wear, you know, jewelry and you can't wear a messy bun. He's not saying that, okay? He's saying this, the substance of your life first should not be beauty. And listen, early on, women are taught that their value, their worth, and even their power come from their beauty. They are taught by our culture that a woman with great beauty will have power to get what she wants and will be greatly valued because of that. And Peter says, no, what's valuable to God is Christ-like character first. A calm, steadfast faith in God gets his attention every time. Verse 4, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable, imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. That's what's precious. If you've ever wondered what's precious to God, that's what's precious to him. The, the beauty of this gentle and quiet spirit within you, a gentle and quiet spirit. This doesn't mean being introverted and shy and uh, that women can't be extroverted. But, but gentle and quiet spirit means that you have a spirit that's one of peace, not trying to position yourself to manipulate or control, full of trust in God. This is very precious to God, which is the spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, submission with a quiet spirit was a core dimension of Christ's character, because we just read that. That's more valuable, valuable to God than beauty. And in tough situations, you should be like Christ, be more concerned about what God thinks than what you can get for yourself. To simply say it, the Christ-likeness of your person is more valuable to God than the style of your clothing. Your faith is more precious to God than your face or your figure. Submission to God is ultimately more powerful than anything beauty can produce for you. And, and single ladies, how many single ladies we have in the house? That was just like the first service. We have none here. They don't want to talk. Okay. He's saying, single, if you're here and you don't want to say that. He's saying, your future is determined not by your beauty, you can, how beautiful you can make yourself or you can present yourself. You cannot post enough 
beautiful photos of yourself online to make up what you feel is missing in your life. All of those pictures will not make you any more secure. What you're looking for is found in the promise in the presence of the Holy Father. That's what he's saying. Sometimes you wonder when you see a picture on Instagram, well, you know, how many pictures do they take to get to that? But let me tell you something. This is what Peter is saying. So this is the word. Don't adorn yourself with all of those things. Put on Christ and let him worry about your future. Here's another application for Peter's words. Married ladies, it's wrong to use your sexual appeal to get him to do what you want him to do to withhold sex until he conforms to the way you want him to, to use your beauty and sexuality as power, manipulation, giving him the cold shoulder, making life miserable for him, right? This is the type of power that Peter is talking about here. But that is not the power that Jesus exuded over us. So number one, Christ-likeness in marriage means you use your power, you use it to bless and you use it to serve, Peter says. You don't use it to manipulate and to control each other. And that raises the question, what if what you're doing and you're doing your part and they don't do their part? Because this happens a lot in marriage because I have couples talking to me, well, I feel like I'm doing my part, but he or she is not doing their part. And that's where the tension comes in. And that's where the strain and the pull comes in, you know, where the enemy wants to divide us. Number two, in all things, do good, but you need to obey and trust him. Well, in the face of incompetence or whether it's injustice, what did Christ do? He committed himself to him who judges justly, and then he kept doing good, trusting God with the results. Look at the example, because he gives a great example here in verse 5 of Sarah in the Old Testament. He reaches all the way back to the Old Testament and Sarah, and this is what he pulls forward. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. The use of Sarah here is so helpful as you look at this. Abraham was not a perfect man. Even though we sing Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. Many of you don't even know that song. Some of you do. You grew up with it. But you read Genesis, Abraham really blew it sometimes. And men, we really blow it sometimes, that's for sure. Um, he led their family to places they shouldn't even have gone. Really made some crazy decisions. But Sarah stayed with him submitting to his leadership. She wasn't like, well, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Like the shirt, I'm with idiot, you know? <laughs> you know that's not how Sarah acted. She stayed. She loved. You know she prayed. But she stayed in this marriage with Abraham even when he made it some boneheaded decisions. In verse 6, you see this. She did the right thing she knew to do, which was honoring her husband's leadership, committing herself to God, and as a result, she didn't fear what was frightening. Any man who makes decisions for the family without the counsel of his wife is a fool. Amen to that. Because I've made many decisions without my wife's understanding or agreement. And how many of you know there's hell to pay for that one, right? <laughs> to say it nice, 
right? And I know this message gets a little tense. I know some of you are like, some of you are gripping the seat. Some of you are like, oh my God, when's he going to say amen and get me out of here? <laughs> if you're married, it's hard for all of us. Let's just, let's just lay it out there. If you're getting ready to get married, well, get ready to get married. <laughs> That's all I got to say. <laughs> It's a blessed place to be. I'm a blessed man because I have an amazing woman of God. But let me tell you something. Marriage, man, it will test everything inside of the fiber of your spirit. Amen? But it was meant to be a beautiful thing. It's a blessed thing. But, but listen, men and women, we should be consulting our spouses so that we come into agreement. Maybe there's no power in our marriage because there's no agreement. There's no unity. If you want God's power, you want his unity, you need to come into agreement with each other. And this is what Peter is driving home. It means your attitude in marriage is dominated by a calm trust in God. And let me be really clear so nobody's confused about this. This is not saying spousal abuse is okay. Or that God wants you to stay in a home where you are being abused as you just take it as some expression of Christ's likeness. No, 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 no. No passage of Scripture encourages you to do that. If you think it's for some reason, whether good reason or Christ-like, it's not. What it's doing is it's enabling sin in your home. I've told marriages before, if there is, there is physical abuse... Um, you might need to get separated for a season, but you surely need to get help. There needs to be help for the abuser as well as the person that's being abused. Some of you in this room, if you're struggling with this or you're in the sound of my voice or we are here as a church to help you with that or we can, we can refer you on to a professional counselor because you do need help. Let me tell you something. Abusers are self-haters at the core. The reason why they abuse is they hate themselves. And they act and lash out of that. And that's the abuse that they give. Am, am I telling the truth today? Because some people are living with that, and that's not God's will for you. Why? Psalm 11.5 says, The Lord hates those who do violence, and you should not subject you or your children to that. Protect yourself, your kids, and help your spouse get help. I know there's so many different scenarios and situations I could try to go into. It's almost impossible for me to address this. But if you need help, reach out, okay? Regardless, Peter's point is that whatever situation you find yourself in, you must continue doing good and trusting God. That no one else's sin justifies your own sin. Your husband being stupid, acting like an idiot. God says you should just keep trusting God and obeying God. When you do that, God says, I promise to help you. Christ did this. Psalm 125, the Lord is good to those who walk uprightly. He is their shield and he is their support. And so you realize on the flip side of this, when you take matters into your own hands, you mess things up. And God then becomes your enemy. You're opposed to him when you and I take things into our own hands. See verse 7, likewise, husbands, showing honor to the woman so that your prayers may not be hindered. Men, when you use your power to coerce, you may get what you want from your wife, but what he says then is on the flip side, your prayers are actually hindered. The very thing you're praying for, when you try to 
coerce or you try to manipulate, your prayers aren't even getting to heaven. It's being hindered. There's a ceiling on it. But though there's agreement in coming together, it reaches to the heavenly Father, and He hears those prayers. When you take vengeance into your own hands, you mess things up, and so do I. Trust God, keep doing good, and let God deal with it. Which leads me to the last thing, number three. Give grace rather than retaliation. You and I are called to give grace. You and I have been given an amazing grace. Just more than a song. We have been given an amazing, marvelous grace to our lives. And we are called to in turn give that grace to relationships that are around us. Because grace is a more powerful change agent than retaliation every single day. We can nod our head at that, but we really have to understand that grace changes the heart. Retaliation never changes the heart. Grace changes hearts. Jesus didn't come to us in vengeance. He came to us in grace and mercy, and it changes us. We see that. And this is what Peter says. This is what you got to understand. This is Peter's referring to. He says, ladies, even when you're in the, in, the, in the home of an unkind, unsaved man, keep doing good and responding like Christ. Now, I've held out verses 1 and 2 for now. They, who's they? The unsaved husband may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. That is a powerhouse verse. That is a, that, that's like a God verse. God can work a miracle through rebellion. God can work a miracle in your husband's life. They, the unsaved, may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. We're not, you're not going to change his heart by manipulating, berating him, wearing him down. His best shot at being changed is seeing the humble, trusting, Christ-like spirit of God within you every time. Through that, you win them. What a word. Through that, you win them. You win them over. They're one to the Lord. They're captivated. They're drawn through the power of the Holy Spirit to Jesus Christ. This is the way of Christ. This is how he changed us first. So as we walk out of here today, those of you in the confines and the marriage, and you're together in that covenant of marriage, this is what he's called us to operate. Those of you that are single in the room, this is what you should be looking for inside of a man or inside of a woman of God. This is what you should be going after. Those of you that are uh, single, single again, divorced, whatever you want to call it, this is how we're called to operate in our, in our daily lives. The principle, Peter says, Respond like Jesus in Jesus' name. Respond like him. You know, Chris and I have people come and tell us, even right here at the church, wow, you and John's marriage must be perfect. We're, we laugh. <laughs> Are you kidding me? We have arguments. We love each other. We fight dirty sometimes, just like you. Don't, don't put on a mask right now. Right? We've had to learn this, be submitted, submit to God, submit to each other. There's been some things that Chris has come to me and said, you know, John, you need to stop doing that. I've been the one sitting in the chair. She's out there. 
but she's come back. She's come and stood beside me. I know she was praying for me. Some things, there's tension. But this is being mutually submitted to God and mutually submitted to each other. And through that, that's what brings God the most glory. Because we realize through scripture that, that this so, it impacts not only what happens in your marriage, it happens, it impacts the church and it impacts this community in your workplace and it's impacting your children is, is um, your marriage, your marriage. If you want to go out there and take a look at very first things in the book of Genesis, what the enemy did was he started tearing the family apart and he's never stopped since. Hello? Hello? Was through the power of his spirit, a Christ-like spirit that he's called us to live in, even though we got stuff in us sometimes that tries to come out. Our old nature, oh, that happens to all of us wants to rival up within us. Oh, the best way to do that is I'm going to break, beat down and take it into my own hands. Oh, I've done that before. How about you? I realized that my my prayers were hindered. There was a ceiling on them. To you, everyone here in this room today, in in the marriage, there's marriages in this room that are struggling. They're struggling. There's such tension all the time. There's no oneness. When are you going to start fighting for the covenant that God gave you? When are you going to start being yielded to one another as Christ is to the church as we're called to be yielded to him back? Christ's likeness, amen? Oh, I know we all have a rebellious spirit that's got to be daily surrendered to him and die to that. But when will we be surrendered to the covenant that we have with our spouse today? If you're not surrendered to your spouse, I believe God is speaking to you today. Now, remove my words from this today. What did the Holy Spirit speak to you Why I spoke to you today? Wouldn't the Holy Spirit make alive to you in this moment? That's what you should act on. That's what you should right now say, God, that's what I feel. I wrote it down. You spoke a word. That's what the Holy Spirit is speaking to every single one of us in this room. So please act on what the Spirit of God talked to you about. Because that's the most important thing in our moments together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word that shows us how to treat each other. Not easy, but it's a command. But Lord, we have a covenant agreement with you through your word. We have a covenant agreement with our spouse. I pray for marriages in this room today in the name of Jesus that are struggling, that are bound, that there is so much tension in. I pray in the name of Jesus that that would be broken through your word through the yielding of our spirit that works in tandem with your spirit. That, Lord God, today we would stop struggling with each other and, Lord, start coming in step with what you have called us to do. Whatever word you've placed within our hearts individually today, we would act on it. 
because we're responsible for it in your mighty name. And Father, I thank you for that. And I thank you for this congregation. Lord, make our marriages stronger than ever before so that our church can be stronger, so our, our families can be stronger, so this community and this government and the nations of the earth will be as well. To be God-honoring in all we do and what we say, to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to get in touch or would like more resources on how to live a successful Christian life, you can always find us at myabundantlife.com. Have a blessed week.